Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. everybody and welcome to today's episode on chronic fatigue. I'm your host Dr. Donnelly Snipes. In this episode we're going to describe chronic fatigue. We'll explore other similar diagnoses, review the prevalence and pacer impacts of chronic fatigue syndrome and persistent fatigue that is the physical, affective, cognitive, environmental, and relational impacts and we'll identify current evidence-based treatments for chronic fatigue syndrome as well as persistent fatigue. Approximately 2 million Americans may have chronic fatigue. It's about two times as likely in studies have found that approximately 40% of healthy community dwelling adults in the US, Japan, and the UK report experiencing chronic or persistent fatigue. Approximately, depending on the um, criteria you use, anywhere from 0.6 to 7% of people actually have chronic fatigue. That doesn't mean the people with perceived are not experiencing significant impairment as a result of their fatigue. They just don't meet the criteria set to diagnose chronic fatigue. So I don't want to get too caught up in labels here. What we're talking about is persistent debilitating chronic fatigue syndrome. Remember I said you have to meet certain criteria to get diagnosed with is severe fatigue lasting longer than six months and present more than 50. So it's not something that has to be present 24 hours a day, but it needs to be present more than 50% of the time. So if you are thinking that you might have chronic fatigue syndrome, one of the first things that would be helpful to provide your doctor information is to keep a log of how often you have severe fatigue and how long it lasts. You know, a couple hours in the morning, is it all day long? How often and how how often do you experience it and how long does it last? Additionally, to meet the diagnostic criteria for chronic fatigue, the person has to have the presence of at least four of the following symptoms. Post-exertion, so that means doing something more than just sitting on the couch. It doesn't necessarily mean going to the gym. It can mean doing housework. It can mean um, going and doing your grocery shopping. Uh, it can mean going to work where you exert yourself and that fatigue is significant. So after that happens, you're like, okay, I'm done. I need a nap. Unrefreshing sleep. People with chronic fatigue a lot, but when they sleep, they wake, awaken and they don't feel refreshed. And we'll talk about a lot of the potential reasons for this and interventions is muscle pain and polyarthralgia. So pain in the muscles and pain in the joints, um, sore throat, tender lymph nodes, 
new headaches, you know, not something that has been going on for a long time, but headaches that coincided with the beginning of this. An impaired memory or constant, again, that coincided with the beginning of the What are the effects of significant whether it meets the criteria for chronic fatigue syndrome or not. Well, it has a lot of effects. Physically, well, you feel exhausted. And when you feel exhausted, you may have sleep difficulties because you um, get your circadian rhythms out of whack. You may take more naps so you don't sleep as well at night. Um, you have difficulty getting up and just kind of moving around, which leads to lower levels of oxygenation, which also contributes to feelings of exhaustion. Pain and stiffness can also be a side effect, if you will, of persistence. When you don't move, your body tends to become stiffer. You tend to have more aches and things like that. Not saying that people who, um, work out every day or have a labor intensive job don't experience um, it's all about moderation and our bodies re move in order to aided and keep the muscles balanced adolescent chronic fatigue syndrome is associated with altered autonomic cardi cardiovascular control which in many cases may equate to what we now are calling POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome uh, this altered autonomic cardiovascular control is characterized by enhanced sympathetic and attenuated parasympathetic cardiovascular nervous activity. So when they sit up or get up from a reclining position, their heart rate goes way up and it takes quite a while for it to come back down. Whereas somebody else, their uh, heart rate may go up a little bit, their blood pressure may go up a little bit when they end from a seated position, but then it quickly comes back down. So the um, initial response is much more exaggerated and the time to return to baseline is a lot longer in people who have um, altered autonomic cardiovascular control or POTS. Interestingly though, they often show normal cytokine levels and adolescent chronic fatigue syndrome is often preceded by an episode of mononucleosis or Epstein-Barr virus. So we do know that there's something immunological, viral, uh, that may cause chronic fatigue syndrome to present, but that is not true in every single person. They re there is really no one identifiable cause of chronic fatigue so it's really important to to recognize that and not say well i haven't had this therefore i can't have that um, keep a log of your symptoms start to recognize your symptoms another consequence of persistent fatigue can be depression when you can't do the things that you used to do when you don't have any and feel oppressive you can feel sort of hopeless and helpless and trapped in your own body now, depression can also cause persistence, and we'll talk about that later, but depression is huge. Uh, anxiety can also present when people are feeling exhausted all the time. They may have anxiety about rejection. They may have anxiety about whether they're going to be continue to work and pay their bills. They may have anxiety about 
well, what in the world is causing me to feel like crap all the time? So their health anxiety, as anxiety increases, that increases the HPA axis, that increases the person's stress levels and how much energy and contributes to increased fatigue. It's exhausting to be anxious all the time. They may have increased levels of anger because they get frustrated that they can't do the or for as long as they they may feel envious of people who don't have the persistent fatigue they may get frustrated with people in their own household or where they work that uh, they perceive as either not understanding or contributing to their fatigue you know if you've got four children running around uh, it can be frustrating when you barely have the energy to get up you know shower do the basics uh, to think about having to follow around and clean up um, after the fortune and grief when people have a change in their abilities oftentimes there is a grieving process when they recognize that it may not be forever but at least for the foreseeable short-term future I don't have the energy to do the things that I used to do like going to the gym or rock climbing or you know doing all the yard work that I used to do and there can be a grieving process associated with that and it's important for people to be able to acknowledge that grief that frustration that loss of the vision of what they wanted to be cognitively people with chronic fatigue often have difficulty concentrating and problems with memory now some of this goes hand in hand with those when we don't get quality sleep we awaken unrefreshed partly because the adenosine isn't getting cleared out of our brain and when we have adenosine still occupying some of those receptors um, we have more waking up feeling refreshed and concentrating so the one of the things that happens during that deep phase is clearing out the adenosine and we're going to talk more about why regulating circadian rhythms and paying attention what might be causing your sleep problems so you sleep quality can go a long way toward helping with coping with environmentally people with persistent fatigue also have significant effects they may not be able to keep their job or may have to work from home which can feel very oppressive to them they can feel lonely if they're not interacting with more they can feel anxious because they may have a cut in salary as a result of having to quit um, so there are there are some a lot of environmental things there organization when people have people have chronic fatigue syndrome having the energy to dust to mop to do the dishes may not be there and it's not that they're lazy as they just don't have they can't imagine having the energy to get this is similar to what we see in people with major depressive disorder where it actually almost feels like they are wearing a hundred pound weighted vest or rucksack you know everything feels like it takes a whole lot more energy your body feels a lot heavier you feel like you've got a lot less energy and so doing things 
that you normally would have not thought twice about can feel really open. and and so with people who have uh, chronic fatigue syndrome persistent fatigue POTS any condition that impacts their energy one of the things we do talk about is paying attention to your own rhythms and taking advantage of spurts of energy if you've got a period where you're feeling okay you know what can you manage of that and it shouldn't always be okay I'm feeling all right right now so I need to scrub the house you know sometimes when you're having that spurt of energy it can mean hey this might be a good time to do something I would enjoy go out on a walk or whatever it is but I digress um, environmentally people with persistent exhaustion may also have difficulty accessing medical services if they've got to go to the grocery store if they've got to get up and cook um, if they've got to go to the doctor you know that can seem overwhelming to them especially you know if they're going to a counselor um, where it's they are uh, not seeing immediate improvement necessarily they may not have as much motivation go there especially if their energy is especially low now in today's environment one of the beauties is that we can have healthy food you can have groceries delivered uh, you can get healthy food from you know, drive throughs you know there are ways that you can get health can even get it delivered so if the person doesn't have the energy to do it there are some options now yes it's a little more expensive to do it that way um, but there are a lot of ways that people can brainstorm to eat healthfully without having to root a whole lot of energy pre-making meals can also be super helpful um, you know if you've got somebody who has low energy levels that in your family persistent fatigue and you want to help out you know one of the things that might be helpful is asking them what kinds of meals would you like and then pre-making those and pre-packaging them so all they've got to do is take them out of the fridge and warm them uh, medical services can be accessed in many cases via telemedicine and telemental health now so that's another area where uh, we are making advances that can really benefit people with uh, chronic fatigue people with persistent fatigue or chronic fatigue syndrome may also experience isolation withdrawal and relational if you used to go out and go to the gym with your friends or go hiking or something that required a lot of energy um, you may not be able to do that anymore even things that don't require a lot of energy when people have chronic or even the energy just to get up and get dressed and you know do your hair or whatever you've got to do to go out to lunch may just be and it's important to it with yourself and try to find compromises and workarounds so maybe having your friend come over and bring lunch with them so you can socialize you can spend time together but it doesn't require having to exert as much to get ready for that person but there are going to be relational changes and sometimes people in your life may not accept the chronic fatigue or the persistent fatigue. maybe critical hypercritical um, 
and, and it's important to educate them and work with your case manager, your counselor, to educate them about the reality of what's going on. This isn't just something that you're making up. This is uh, a result of physical phys and physiological and neurochemical changes that are contributing. So what causes it? And I said earlier, there is no one root cause of chronic fatigue, which makes it so much harder to treat. It is also considered a disorder of, uh, or a diagnosis of elimination. So doctors don't have a test because there's no one root cause and not everybody presents the same way. There's no one test at this point that doctors can run and say, yes, for sure this person has it or no, for sure they don't. Now there are some blood panels that we're going to talk about in a minute that may indicate, yeah, you know, good chance this person may have it. But there are also people who have chronic fatigue syndrome who may not have those markers in their, in their blood work. So we don't want to, again, assume that there is any particular, particular test that can say for sure, yes or no. The literature indicates that people with chronic fatigue syndrome or CFS experience dysfunction in the nervous system. So their autonomic nervous system, their HPA axis, which is their threat response system. If you've watched my other videos, their endocrine system, and this is their hormones, their thyroid hormones, their gonadal hormones like estrogen, testosterone, DHEA, and potentially their immune system. For a significant portion of people with chronic fatigue syndrome, there is an autoimmune, but not for everybody. Not everybody shows increases in inflammatory. Gonadal hormone imbalances are often seen in people with chronic fatigue. They have found that people with chronic fatigue syndrome often, not always, um, have blood work that may show excess corticotropin releasing hormone, estrogen, follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. Now all of those should sound familiar because those are in your endocrine system and your gonadal processes, your reproductive hormone. So it is interesting to note that those, tend, those particular hormones tend to be higher in people with chronic fatigue syndrome, which is another reason why we probably see it twice as often in females than in, in men. So let's, you know, follow that line of reasoning a little bit. Everybody has estrogen, you know, um, people who are biologically male have less people who are biologically female have more and people who are biologically female have increases and decreases in estrogen throughout their, their cycle, which is partially regulated by their circadian rhythm. So that's another reason we're going to talk about that circadian rhythm in a minute. Short-term increases in estrogen, so 28 days or less, uh, people show a decrease in serotonin reuptake transporter or CERT, which means there's more serotonin in the system. Well, serotonin is associated with improvement, you know, well, I shouldn't say serotonin kind of has a bimodal effect. Too little or too much can be a problem, okay? But when we see short-term increase serotonin, um, that can be good. Serotonin um, 
can help with sleep. Proper levels of serotonin help with pain. So, and, and proper levels of serotonin can assist with energy level. Long-term exposure to estrogen causes an increase in the serotonin reuptake transporter or CERT, which causes a reduction in serotonin. Persistently high levels of estrogen have been found to actually reduce the amount of uh, serotonin receptor activity, if you will, because the serotonin gets broken down and reuptaken um, faster. Resolution of fatigue and a decrease of inflammatory mediators was seen in people who have chronic fatigue syndrome after the discontinuation of hormone therapy. So people who have CFS, who happen to be also taking hormones, may find that the hormone therapy is contributing to their symptoms. Now that is not an indication to just quit taking your hormones. That is an indication to talk to your doctor and look at when did these symptoms start? You know, if you were on hormones for 15 years before these started, chances of it being caused by exposure to increased levels of estrogen uh, as a result of your hormone therapy is probably negligible. But it is something if you recently adjusted your hormone levels or if you're going through menopause or something like that, talk to your doctor. Another hormonal factor that is related to syndrome is underexpression or underactivity of DHEA sulfate. And DHEA sulfate is one of those chemicals in our body that helps your body make the gonadal hormones. So if they don't have enough DHEA sulfate, then the body may not actually may not be able to make enough estrogen. Um, so we need estrogen to make serotonin more bioavailable, but too much estrogen is bad. Too little is bad as well. Research has indicated that there is a clear relationship and chronic fatigue. Well, it kind of makes sense. If you're not getting qual adequate quality sleep for whatever reason, you're certainly going to. But we also know if you look at the HPA axis, that when we are fatigued, it causes that HPA axis to stay activated. Our body perceives that it is under stress when it is not getting adequate quality. When that happens, there's a cascade of effects that can trigger, it can trigger um, alterations of the gonadal hormones. It can trigger um, increases, so, and it can trigger can trigger mood disorders and alterations of neurotransmitters. So sleep and circadian rhythms are really important. Chronic fatigue symptoms are also related to dysfunction in the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal uh, axis, kind of like what I just said. Um, and they have found, uh, research has indicated that increased stress or trauma, whether it is prenatal, in childhood, or during adolescence, increases the risk of chronic fatigue. So children who are born premature or who are born substance exposed or who experience adverse childhood ex or who even experience stressors related to malnutrition, socioeconomic status are at higher risk for development of CFS later. So what are the treatments? Well, and I know you don't like it when I say medications. 
unfortunately, one of the first line evidence-based treatments for chronic fatigue syndrome uh, is antidepressants. And specific agonists for 5-HT1A or serotonin receptors uh, because antidepressants have been shown to, re to decrease the extracellular levels of serotonin caused by inflammation. So inflammation can actually cause excess levels of extracellular sin that can be a problem. Um, exercise and reading has also been shown in multiple studies to be important. One of the reasons that they have found for this is that atrophic muscles or, you know, withering muscles uh, increase fatigability, if you will. When we start to lose our muscle conditioning, then things become harder to do. If you've ever been on bed rest, you know what this is this is like you know after you get off bed rest it things that you used to do easily are harder to do now a lot of times you know if you are healthy when you're leaving bed rest you recuperate but people with chronic fatigue syndrome and persistent fatigue in general may experience a lot of fatigue when they try to do things which causes them to not want to do anything. It's like, okay, that's too hard. That's too exhausting. I don't want to get up and do something and then have to take a nap again, which keeps them from doing things, which contributes to further muscle atrophy. Uh, so it's this self-perpetuating vicious cycle. Therefore, the recommendations are under a doctor's um, supervision, to engage in exercise and reconditioning activities. Now this, again, generally does not mean starting out by going to the gym and working out for 45 minutes. This means gentle exercises. A lot of times starting out with uh, gentle walking or stretching or something like that and slowly progressing. We don't want the person to start this reconditioning process and feel overwhelmed by it. We want to give them micro successes, helping them do something, some kind of movement, some kind of activity for maybe two minutes longer today than they did yesterday. Um, getting one of the little pedal machines, the elliptical machines that can go in front of your sofa or under the desk, you know, those can be helpful because that is gentle movement. It's not something that is overwhelming. An increase gradually can help with some circadian rhythm stabilization is our circadian rhythms when they get disrupted negatively impact our immune negatively impact our gonadal hormones as I mentioned in people who are biologically female this is an obvious um, change or impact because we see that their monthly cycle can be negatively impacted when they get disrupted. Now the uh, impacts are less obvious um, or less overt maybe in males, uh, postmenopausal females, but it's important to recognize that it exists. You know, our circadian rhythms regulate our immune system, our um, secretion of gonadal hormones, secretion of cortisol, Yes, cortisol is something we want. In the morning, you're supposed to have your peak levels of cortisol that give you the energy to get out of bed in the morning. 
and then it decreases gradually throughout the day. People with chronic fatigue syndrome typically don't have that peak and decline. It's just kind of low and steady all day long. Um, people with chronic fatigue syndrome also often show levels of hypocortisolism, not enough cortisol, because they don't peak throughout the day and because of that HPA axis. Circadian abnormalities are a common symptom of many diseases and may aggravate several neuropsychiatric disorders, like all of them, to the best of my knowledge. Um, when we are not getting, when our circadian rhythms are out of whack, it's hard for our body to know when do I secrete the hunger hormone? When do I secrete the wake up hormone? When do I secrete the, the, the estrogen, the testosterone? So everything starts to get muddied and all of the workers, if you will, in your body factory kind of start running into each other instead of having this nice, smooth flowing assembly line. Melatonin has been indicated um, in some studies for circadian rhythm regulation, as well as for depressive symptom treatment and to help with inflammation. Melatonin is a powerful anti-inflammatory. Now, when you look at the American uh, Society for Science, their recommendations on melatonin, it shows moderate support for, uh, for the, uh, or, I'm sorry, the studies were moderate in their quality, but the support was low for melatonin. And there were actually virtually no recommendations for other things. But there have been other studies, as highlighted here, that have indicated that melatonin... Now, why is it so wishy? There are a lot of things that negatively impact our sleep, not just melatonin. People who are anxious, people who are in chronic pain, people who have um, children sleeping in their bed. Uh, there are a lot of things that can impair our sleep. People who, like me, actually, I've taken a big step and I've locked the animals out of the bedroom now. Um, and I am sleeping better. I'm not waking up coughing three times a night, which is great. I miss my critters, but my sleep quality has certainly improved. So, you know, we do want to recognize that there are a lot of different reasons for circadian. Shift work is another huge one. Your body doesn't just automatically go, oh, okay, we're on second shift now, so bada bing. Um, people who work shift work or who work across different time zones um, also have significant rhythm regulation, which can trigger or exacerbate chronic fatigue syndrome, a variety of health and mental health and caffeine and I have reduction here but really what I'm talking about is reduction of caffeine eight hours of identified bedtime because caffeine stays in our system for a really long time and it inhibits quality sleep so ideally you know cutting out caffeine but most of us are not either willing or able to do that so paying attention you are ingesting caffeine and not doing close to bedtime can help with sleep quality. And I do have other videos on the YouTube channel that talk about steps for sleep hygiene because there's a lot of them um, that a lot of us get wrong 
including, you know, blue light exposure, having the temperature wrong, drinking too much water right before bed, etc. So pay attention to your sleep. That's one thing that you can start looking at and talking about with your doctor if you are finding that you either or you sleep through the night but it's restless. People with chronic fatigue syndrome um, have been shown, some people, most many people, have been shown to have a variety of nutritional needs and they may not have all of these but they may have some of them. Magnesium and zinc and interestingly magnesium and zinc kind of work against each other. Um, they're li they limit each other. So, you know, that's just kind of one of those hints to put out there that this is another reason why it's best to get our nutritional needs met through natural food instead of trying to load up on any particular vitamin or supplement unless recommended by a doctor because we can actually inhibit the absorption of certain required nutrients by taking too much of other required nutrients. Arachidonic acid, which is an omega-6, and you know, we always hear about omega-3s, omega-3s, anti-inflammatory, we need more omega-3s. Yes, we, but we also need omega We actually do need them in our diet. And arachidonic acid is one of those omega-6 that is uh, helpful and essential in, in the diet. It can generally be found in animal fat. It's present in things like eggs. So a lot of people are getting it and they don't have an issue. For people who are vegan, you know, it's important to look at what they're getting in terms of their nutrients. It, it is possible to eat very healthfully um, as a vegan or as a vegetarian, but it does take more planning. Omega-3s, increasing those, the American diet at least is painfully deficient. Omega-3s are also involved, as a little side note, um, not only in, in uh, as an anti-inflammatory, but they're also involved in uh, ensuring maintaining the health of the endocannabinoid system. And the endocannabinoid system um, helps us feel good, helps us with inflammatory issues, um, you know, cannabinoid, cannabis. Um, so our natural cannabinoids are supported by ingestion of uh, adequate levels of omega. Um, L-carnitine is a amino acid that can be found in, uh, not everybody is down with eating meat. It can also be found in the whey components of of dairy products. So, you know, whey protein, powdered whey isolate, um, or just dairy products uh, will provide L-carnitine. Now for people who are vegan, they have to make special efforts to figure out how they're going to get L-carnitine in their diet. Vitamin C, B-complex vitamins, and sodium are also important. Now most Americans, at least, get plenty of B-complex vitamins because most of our cereals and breads and those sorts of things are enriched with it, with the exception of um, B12, which can be a little bit harder to come by, um, especially for vegetarians, but it's possible. Sodium is something that we typically have plenty of in the American diet, but if you're not 
eating an American diet, you may need to pay attention to that. L-tryptophan is another amino acid and it is very ubiquitous. So if you are getting adequate calories and you know, not just from jelly beans and chocolate or something, then you're probably getting tryptophan. Tryptophan is broken down to make serotonin, which is broken down to make melatonin. Tryptophan is important, but again, most people in most countries, as long as you're getting an adequate caloric intake and adequate protein levels for your age and, and size, you're probably getting... Coenzyme Q10 is an antioxidant that is often associated with heart health, but is also found to be in many people with chronic fatigue. And finally, water. Good old-fashioned clear water. When we are dehydrated, it contributes to difficulty in concentration, difficulty with memory, difficulty with lubricating our joints, so we start having more pain, muscle cramping, so we have, start having more pain, headaches, so we start having more pain. Um, you know, there are a lot of, and, and fatigue, dehydration is associated with fatigue. So making sure you're getting enough water. And if you drink a lot of caffeine, which again, hopefully that would be moderated, but uh, it's important to drink additional water to balance that out. Now, there is such a thing as being overhydrated. So you can drink so much good pure water that you actually wash out some essential minerals in your body. So it's all always a matter of moderation. You know, the um, uh, US R, uh, RDA or whatever for uh, water is 64 ounces a day. So that's a good go-by guide. A nutritionist I worked with said that as a general rule, if you drink 64 ounces of water, that's great. And then for every um, ounce of caffeinated beverage you drink, drink another ounce of water. So if you drink a lot of caffeine, that can be a lot. But again, watch out because caffeine is a diuretic. It push water out and water is going to flush a lot of those minerals out, which can contribute as well as, you know, imbalance and a lot of other uh, electrolytes, etc. So just be aware, be cautious, use moderation, talk to a nutritionist if you need some um, advice. To determine if you've got nutritional deficiencies, download one of the apps. My favorite is Spark People because I find it intuitive. It's a free app. Um, and keep a nutritional diary for you know, a week or a month. And you can look each day and see what it says about what, how much you're getting of each new with the USRDA. So it'll give you a general idea of whether you're getting enough or not. The microbiome has also been implicated in chronic fatigue. Alterations in uh, bacteria in the gut um, have been shown to contribute to chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, symptoms. Uh, a diet that is high in antioxidants, you know, so foods that are fruits and vegetables, fiber, that are colorful, and probiotic, like um, yogurts and fermented foods can help with the health of that microbiome. Stress management is also important 
for chronic fatigue because stress alters the microbiome and not for the better. Stress also um, contributes to HPA axis dysregulation and when the HPA axis is pumping out cortisol for too long, the body becomes tolerant to it and cortisol loses its anti-inflammatory effects and the person starts to experience more systemic inflammation. We know that systemic inflammation is associated with depressive symptoms as well as sleep problems, autoimmune diseases, and so what else could be going on? Um, if you don't meet all the criteria for chronic fatigue, it doesn't mean that you're not tired. It doesn't mean that you don't have debility. So what other things would you want to rule out? Sleep apnea is one. If you are <clears throat> experiencing sleep apnea, you are not getting good quality sleep and you are not getting good oxygenate. And both of those are going to persistent and pers persistent fatigue. Anemia. Um, interestingly, in the research that I articles that I read, iron was never mentioned as being something that was found to be deficient in people with chronic fatigue. However, we know that when people have anemia, um, especially iron deficiency, they tend to have extensive fatigue. So we want to rule out anemia as a cause. Malnutrition. Now I had that whole list of nutrients that people with chronic fatigue um, may be deficient in. But with malnutrition, a lot of times what they're talking about is lack of adequate food intake. Um, anorexia, bulimia, um, so the body doesn't have access to those nutrients. So we want to rule those out. You know, anorexia and bulimia can cause persistent um, malnutrition, can cause fatigue. So we want to rule that out. Cardiovascular conditions, and I know that sounds scary, and sometimes it can be, but uh, when our cardiovascular system is not working effectively, then our brain and our muscles and everything else are not getting well oxygenated, which can contribute to a lot of those symptoms. Um, and when the cardiovascular issues are resolved, the fatigue goes away. So that's why it's a diagnosis of, we want to resolve any of these other issues that could be contributing to them before we say it's CFS. POTS or postural ortho orthostatic tachycardia syndrome is not just for adolescents and it is a newer diagnosis but it is a very real um, syndrome in which the autonomic nervous system goes into hyperdrive um, <clears throat> and it is exhausting and it does contribute persistent uh, one of the medications for POTS is beta blockers and beta blockers also contribute persistent some for a lot of people so being aware that there may be something else and I do have two videos on POTS on the chronic pain can keep us tense. And when we are tense, we're using a lot more energy. Chronic pain can also impair sleep quantity and quality, which will, con uh, chronic pain can contribute, you know, that muscle tension, even, you know, tensing your jaw, which also can increase headaches. So we want to look at, is there a chronic pain that may be causing this? Hypothyroid can contribute to fatigue when your thyroid levels are low. 
chronic stress has been associated with causing the development or triggering the onset of hypothyroid. We also see hypothyroid develop in people at different points in their life. So just because you've never had it before doesn't mean that it didn't start. So getting your thyroid hormones checked is easy as that general blood test that they're going to do to rule out a lot of other things. Gonadal hormone imbalances, low T, low testosterone contributes to depressive symptoms as well as um, fatigue. Low estrogen levels often contribute to depression as well as fatigue. High estrogen levels often contribute to feelings of anxiety. And, and remember that gonadal hormones, particularly estrogen, impact the available serotonin, which is another one of those chemicals in your body that contributes your energy levels, your sleep quality, and your, your pain levels. <clears throat> Severe obesity also needs to be ruled out. When people are severely obese, it contributes to an increase in, in estrogen levels. That increase in estrogen levels, remember persistent increases in estrogen actually contribute to, to a reduction in serotonin, <clears throat> which can impair sleep quality as well as contribute to inflammation. Lyme disease can cause all of these symptoms and Lyme disease thankfully can be treated uh, so we want to rule out Lyme disease. Diabetes, and I have this with a little asterisk by it because people with diabetes have significant as a result of blood, blood sugar levels that are not being adequately if they're diabetes. But there is also a very high correlation, concurrent pr presence of diabetes and chronic fatigue syndrome. So it's important for the, for the doctor to help you reg, uh, determine, you know, is this fatigue being caused by blood sugar levels or are my blood sugar levels fine? My diabetes is well managed. However, I also have concurrent chronic fatigue. Affective and cognitive causes of fatigue. Depression, both what we call unipolar depression, so major depressive disorder, and bipolar, the depressive side of bipolar can look a lot like um, chronic fatigue syndrome. Now, unfortunately, it's really difficult to ferret out CFS from major depressive disorder because major depressive disorder does have symptoms of fatigue, poor sleep, pain, um, you know, lack of energy, apathy, those sorts of things. Um, and people with chronic fatigue have those same. So ferreting those out can be difficult. The interesting thing that antidepressants have been shown to work and, and be helpful for reducing inflammation and thereby improvable with CFS and have been shown in some people to be helpful for improving depression. So the treatment for quote unquote for treatment for depression versus um, chronic fatigue syndrome are going to be very anxiety and anger. Both of those are indications that the HPA axis is triggered, the a threat. So uh, anxiety and anger can be exhausting. When we perceive a threat, 
we do not sleep as well we do not rest as well because our body is hypervigilant to what's going on around us to try to keep us so we don't go into that deep sleep. and just when you're awake you tend to be tenser and be more exhausting addressing causes uh, and contributing factors to anxiety and anger are going to be important prior trauma can contribute to fatigue people who've experienced trauma in their lives whether it was adverse childhood experience or a traumatic event or they're currently living in a traumatic situation can and does contribute to fatigue until it's processed and and resolved trauma does cause structural and chemical changes throughout the body including in the microbiome so it's important to recognize that trauma can and does have a significant biopsychosocial effect on um, and fatigue is not one of the least so it's important to recognize that grief a little bit different than trauma trauma is an event uh, grief is an experience of loss but grief um, denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance um, so anger and depression can be present in the grieving process grieving is exhausting it takes um, there's a lot of energy involved in processing grief or going through whatever event caused the grief um, can be exhausting and people don't just go through it and wake up two days later and they're like okay I'm fine um, grief can contribute an ongoing um, exhaustion for quite a while um, and there's you know complicated grief there is um, a, a lot of other names but it's important to recognize if your exhaustion is being caused all or in part by unresolved grief grief doesn't have a timetable so when I say unresolved that doesn't necessarily mean you need to go to counseling and process it to get over it what I mean is to recognize it and be compassionate with yourself and say you know what I'm still dealing with this and then try to figure out strategies uh, compassionate strategies to help yourself cope with the grief and the associated environmentally noise that keeps you from getting adequate quality sleep or that is ongoing and is a nuisance they found that people who live in high noise environments tend to have higher levels of antidepressant usage and higher levels of fatigue and reported stress levels uh, so noise can be a contributing factor um, not only to disrupting sleep but also just to adding stress to your day so what can you canceling headphones white noise machines what works for you regulate that particular stimulus light can be a problem we regulate our circadian rhythms in part on the amount of light we're exposed to especially blue light so being exposed to blue light on your television on your computer on your mobile device within two hours of bedtime messes up your circadian system um, it's not getting the message that hey it's time to start getting ready to go to blue light blockers really important you can actually get glasses that my daughter actually got a pair that are just plain old clear glasses that have the blue light blockers in them 
So you can start, you know, even put those on when you're watching TV at night or going about your evening activities, your wind down activities to minimize the blue light exposure. So there are things that you can do to address light. When you're sleeping, the darker the better. If you feel safe enough to wear a sleep mask, that can be really helpful because even the light from a full moon coming in your window can disrupt your um, circadian rhythm. Smells, and I have to put smells on there because I am super sensitive to smells, but smells can cause fatigue. If smells are triggering um, traumatic memories, obviously that can contribute. But also just really powerful smells can be overwhelming to your senses too. And it can contribute to headaches and muscle tension. And it can just be exhausting um, to be bombarded with that really powerful stim. Pay attention to smells. Um, there is a fair amount of research out there about aromatherapy and how certain essential oils can contribute to relaxation and certain essential oils can contribute to alertness. So obviously you have situations. All you have to do with essential oils is inhale them. You don't, you don't consume them. You don't have to put them on you. Um, but having them in the air can, can um, I add essential oils to my cleaners. So when I spritz down the counters and stuff each day, um, a little bit of essential oil that's going out there that's contributing smells in the and safety if you don't feel safe if you can't relax in your environment if you're waiting for the dogs to start going nuts or if you're waiting for you know something to happen if you don't feel safe if you can't complete and mentally relax you to tension creating safety I just I can't emphasize that enough relationally yeah relationships can cause fatigue too Interpersonal stress can contribute to fatigue. If you are in a relationship chaotic, it can contribute high levels of anxiety, frustration, depression, um, and just in, in interacting with that person can be exhausting. Um, insecure attachment can contribute to fatigue. If you are regularly concerned that people are, that goes with not feeling safe but it's a lack of safety as a result of lack of trust and faith in relationships. That's exhausting. Or if you have a new baby or a new puppy in the house that needs to, you know, be fed or go out every two hours, um, that can also contribute to fatigue. Now, a new baby or a new puppy, obviously, the baby is going to start sleeping through the night at some point, and so will the puppy. Um, but it's important to be compassionate with yourself during the periods when you're not getting efficient quality sleep and do whatever you can to regulate as much as possible in order to um, preserve your body's ability to know when it's supposed to have the cortisol spike, you know, when you're supposed to get up in the morning and when it's supposed to have the melatonin spike or when it's time to go to bed. Other fatigue interventions. Some medications are associated with fatigue. And I figured I'd just throw this in here because, I mean, sedative hypnotics, you know, obviously if it's got the word sedative in it, we know it's going to... Um, antidepressants. Some antidepressants can make people feel sleepy. 
And actually on this, or something that's not on this list is antipsychotics um, or atypical antipsychotics. Either one reduces dopamine levels. And when dopamine levels go down, people's energy level goes down. So uh, antidepressants, antipsychotics, muscle relaxants, opioids, antihypertensives, so blood pressure medications, antihistamines, so allergy medications, and one you probably didn't know about, many antibiotics. Go figure. Now, you know, you can hypothesize why antibiotics make fatigue, but the take-home message is if you're taking any medication, consider the side effects and consider, you know, when did my symptoms start and where does that correlate with when I started taking this medication? And if it seems like the symptoms started shortly after you started a medication, then talk to your doctor about alternatives or what you can do to address the fatigue. There may not be alternatives in some cases, but there are often workarounds that like taking um, atypical antipsychotics and antipsychotic medication. I had one patient who would take hers at four in the afternoon because that gave it enough time to get out of her system by the time she had to get up the next morning at 5 a.m. So she need, it needed a good 12 hours before she could feel like she could wake up. But that was one way she found that she was hope with being on the antipsychotic medication. Daily exercise, again, gentle, easy exercise. Two minutes more today than you did yesterday of something overwhelming. Not going out and saying, all right, I'm gonna start running. No, if you have been sedentary, then saying, I am going to walk, or I am going to, or I am going to stretch for five minutes. And then the next day, set reasonable, achievable goals. And you can keep, you hit that wall, if you will. And, and that wall is when you start, after you're finished, you are excessively, if you hit that wall, then you say, okay, I need to back off a little bit and hold at this level for a period of time until it starts feeling good, or at least not hard. Sustaining interpersonal relationships are important. We need interpersonal interactions. We need social support. Interpersonal relationships and, and, and support contributes to an increase in oxytocin. Oxytocin, we didn't mention it yet in this, but oxytocin levels are associated with de depression levels. So increases in oxytocin reduce, tend to reduce levels of depression. So those interpersonal relationships for helping to modulate oxytocin levels, as well as just provide support and encouragement and all those other things, reduce anxiety, anger, and increase our feeling of safety and empowerment. Returning to work or a routine. Not everybody works. You know, some people are retired, um, whatever. But a routine is important because that is one of the things that contributes to our circadian rhythms. It's not just light levels. It's our routines. Our body gets used to, okay, we do this at this particular time and it starts secreting hormones in accordance with. So if you return to your routine, then your body is going to start getting into the swing, if you will, 
of when to secrete the wake up hormones and when to secrete and how much to secrete of the gonadal hormones. So all of those stay in balance, which helps your neurotransmitters, your happy chemicals also stay in balance. As I said, there were no definitive recommendations from the American Association of Sleep Medicine for routinely effective treatments of sleep. And I was really surprised about that. But again, I think be, that's because a lot of people have uh, issues with sleep phase disorder for a lot of different, whether it is stress or poor sleep hygiene habits or pain, or, um, shift work, you know, the list goes on. So we would really have to get a very homogenous group to look at in order to get a better idea about effective Nearly one half of adults experience perceived, now that's not chronic fatigue syndrome, but that is persistent impairing fatigue. Fatigue is caused by a variety of biopsychosocial factors and chronic fatigue syndrome is present in up to 7% of adults. There's no known single cause of chronic fatigue, but they have found nutritional, immunological, autonomic, that HPA axis, and endocrine, your gonadal hormones, your thyroid hormones, um, uh, factors which have been implicated in the development or maintenance of chronic fatigue. Current treatments to for chronic fatigue syndrome as well as for, for persistent fatigue and even clinical depression um, have the goals of improving sleep quality, regulating circadian, ensuring adequate nutrition, balancing hormones, reducing inflammation, managing stress, improving any lifestyle factors that may be contributing to stress, and disease adaptation, especially case of chronic fatigue where it might not be a time-limited event, um, in helping people uh, a high-quality life and also have chronic fatigue. I hope this has been helpful.